From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman and this is my longtime friend and business partner, Eric Kalis. Eric, say hi. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about, obviously, what's wrong with revenue, but in this case, you never prioritized your database as an important corporate asset. So we're going to get into this in a great degree of detail. Before we get started, check out the show on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing Channel. You can like it, you can subscribe to it, you can provide us com uh, comments. All of our shows are on the Square Two Marketing Channel on YouTube. On the Square2 website, it's our free streaming service, Square2 Plus, at square2marketing.com backslash Square2 P-L-U-S. We have all ton of audio and video content there. Go check it out. And you can subscribe to Square2 Plus, and every time we put something new on, you will get a notification in your email. And if you love the show and you want the show on your calendar so you never miss it live on Wednesdays at 4 o'clock with Eric and me, or if you want to submit questions like we'll handle today, you can go to the What's Wrong With Revenue button on the Square2 website in the footer, click on it, and we have a whole page dedicated to the show where you can submit a question and get notifications of the live event. So today, we're going to talk about the database. It's kind of this under-discussed asset from a marketing and a sales perspective. Honestly, we didn't really even talk about it much with clients a couple of years ago until we started to realize that we really need a solid database to execute the kind of marketing pretty much everybody's asking us to do. Uh, many companies don't recognize that their own database is an important corporate asset. I might even argue one of your most important corporate assets, and that means it needs to be taken care of. It needs to be nurtured. It needs You need to make sure it's clean and the data and the information in it is accurate. It needs to be regularly maintained, properly segmented. Uh, all of these things have to happen if you're going to get results from your marketing and sales activities. If it's a mess, like a lot of people tell us, my database is a mess, that's going to mean we have some cleanup work to do before we can really dig in and start to execute some campaigns. So bad data, inaccurate data, old data, old lists, purchase lists, uh, databases with little or no segmentation or incomplete records. It's just going to make marketing and even sales's job much, much harder. So one of the things you want to start thinking about is what do I need to do to get this cleaned up? And how can I really start looking at this as an asset that needs to be taken really good care of, like all the other corporate assets you might be already familiar with. Eric, you want to add anything to that? No, I, I think your very first comment is the most powerful that it's under discussed. And I'm glad we're bringing that up as a topic today. Yeah, awesome. So some of the things we're going to try to cover today is how to evaluate if your current database is in good condition and what condition it's actually in. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about how you can put someone in charge of the database and what kind of policies you can install to make sure that once you do clean it up, you keep it clean and accurate. How do you go about cleaning it up? If it is a mess, no problem, happens. We can uh, talk about what might be needed to get it in a better working order. How to monitor it, make sure there are no issues, and if there are, how to catch them early and fix them. And why everyone in the company really needs to understand that your database is, is important to the company so they all treat it with the care and uh, love that it, it requires. So let's just kind of start at the beginning with this, Eric. So you talk to a lot of prospects and you know we, also, we always ask them about their data and we get lots of different kinds of answers, but what do you think some of the signals might be to someone that their database isn't in a condition that it needs to be. If you know if you're not comfortable with it, you might not be looking at it regularly, but there may be some things going on in the business that would indicate that 
the database might not be in a condition it needs to be. What, what are some of those signals? Well, a, a very common question that I ask is, is your database segmented by persona? And sometimes people know what I'm talking about, sometimes they don't. But we've never had a business that we've spoken with that has one singular target market. They typically have multiple target markets in multiple markets or geographies or industries and so forth. So it becomes a bit complex strategically about who you want to tell your story to. The mirror image of that should be the database that as you're talking to a variety of these people, they should drop neatly into each bucket in your database so that it's organized. Because let's say you're trying to sell to a big company and you have the business unit manager as the buyer, but you also have to talk to purchasing. The conversation you would have with purchasing would be completely different than the conversation you would have with the actual buyer. So the segmentation of that enables you to tailor whatever you're tailoring to them, message, an email, piece of content, so forth. I would say that 80% of uh, businesses that we chat with and get to know a bit don't have a segmented beta database. And that means that they have to lump them all into one big um uh, uh, bucket and just talk to everybody the same way. The leading indicator that that's a problem is the answer to is your da database segmented. The other uh, quick uh, um, uh, question to gauge their database is how many prospects do you have in your database? And that usually comes in a very large variety of answers from I don't know to well, it's kind of large, but the sales team loaded in some big lists last year and I'm not quite sure to We've been on three different CRMs and we've transferred them over each time and we lost some data or we tried to clean it up. You know, these are the regular conversations that are people having. And in today's topic, where we're looking at the database through a different set of eyes of how it could be the most precious asset in your company, typically you wouldn't treat the most precious asset in your company with, I don't know, or gee, it's kind of messy, or we haven't looked at it in years. And that's where I think some of the telltale signs of the sales conversation are pointing to the fact that they don't understand the power of the database. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, there are, I, I, I'm going to venture to say that when we start talking about these signals, they're going to sound very common to a lot of people, right? Um, you're right. Most people don't have their database segmented, but you know, one of the signals that your data might be in a little bit of trouble is when you look at it in the CRM, if there's incomplete data in there, like there are certain fields that are missing you know, that's a signal that there could be issues with your data. Um, you know, Eric makes a really good point about the uh, uh, lists. If you're loading a lot of lists, you know, which a lot of people do, went to a trade show, got a list, went to a conference, got a list, went to a networking event, got a list. Well, we have a partner, we got a list. You know, like if you're loading a lot of lists in there and you're just loading them in there, then that's also a pretty good signal that the database isn't set up properly because those lists should probably be deduped and they should be, you know, uh, 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 properly labeled, um, you know, maybe even uh, set aside until you know exactly what to do with it. You know, maybe you want to send an email to that list and then only put in the people that respond into your database, right? So there's so many things you could potentially do with it. I think another signal that you could have issues with your database, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, is no one owns it. Like if you ask yourself, who owns this list? Who owns this data? If the answer is we don't know, or not really anybody, or three people own it, you can't have more than one owner of something. Or that's also everybody, every, all of us. That's a right. Idea. Right. That's also probably a signal that it's not going to be in the condition that you need it to be in. And as we start rattling off these signals, like I said, I have a feeling like a lot of companies are going to find themselves with at least one of these uh, scenarios that sounds uh, very familiar to them. And it's not surprising. I mean, you know, uh, people kind of look at these, the, the database, not as like a valuable corporate asset, but more like, you know, like paper in the copy room, like the more we have, the better. Right. And, you know, eh paper we don't need the best quality paper as long as it runs through the printer it looks good it's fine like unfortunately that's how a lot of people think about their data um and that really can, can run into a whole bunch of problems so uh you know you can have your data audited and it's probably not a bad idea you know companies like us and, and other you know agencies that help with technology can, can do data audits so 
you know, it's probably not a bad idea to have someone look at your data and, and give you some feedback on it and let you know what could potentially be done to it or what's the current state of it. Um, that'll probably give you a much better idea of where you are and what you need to do. And then you probably ought to even consider having that done on an annual basis. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but data tends to degrade and it degrades at a pretty healthy clip, probably more than you would think it would. You know, when clients tell us we have this list from 2020 and we, you don't know what to do with it. Like generally, Eric, and my advice to them is, yeah, get rid of it because at this point it's two years old and you know, how good is it even going to be? So the last thing you want to do is start sending things to people that don't exist or, or are not no longer at their companies or have, you know, changed uh, email addresses or whatever. So um, all, all important things to think about when you're starting to get your hands around what, what managing this database might mean. I wanted to talk a little bit about who might be in charge of this. And we talked about this ownership issue and generally it's no one or everyone and this is probably something that you can fix very quickly and relatively easily is someone does need to own this. They need to own the data. They need to own the, the process of cleaning it. They need to own the process of keeping it accurate. They need to own the process of keeping it man managed and, and uh, segmented properly and, and continually looking at this data to make sure that it reflects what you're trying to do with it. And the answer to who should own it is someone on the revenue operations side. So, you might have a marketing person who has kind of become your de facto marketing operations person. They, they could potentially own it. You may have someone on the sales side that does a lot of sales reporting and dashboards and analytics for the sales team. They could potentially own it. And if you are progressive enough to actually have a revenue operations role or a revenue operations team at your company, clearly this is an, uh, uh, an area of the business that someone in, on that team should own. Um, Eric, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, our RevOps person, Amber, actually went into our database and cleaned it up a little bit a couple of days ago, just organized the lists and kind of looked at what we were doing from a naming convention and tried to streamline that a little bit. And, you know, that was uh, a much needed cleanup and organization session just to keep what we're doing with our data um, you know, as accurate and easy to use as possible. So that's you know, a really good example of where something like this would fall in. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think RevOps is the perfect place to own the database. What I would uh, encourage is that it's by committee, but with a, a database czar making the final call. And the reason I say by committee is because sales is going to go to that conference and get a list. But before they just load it in, it's got to go to the czar so that the database czar can talk about it. What are we going to do with this list? What's the strategy here? Who are these people? How should we segment it? Uh, marketing as well. Hey, we just started a new campaign. We want to generate these new leads. Hey, database czar, I just want to make sure I'm setting this up in the right segmentation per our naming conventions you know, to double check. So it is collaborative, but you have to have one person who, who acts as the database police. Yeah, and we we preach a strategy before tactics approach, and it's lately shocking how frequently that phrase is relevant. And here we are again. You have to have some strategy around what you're doing with the data. And a really great practical example of this is, you know, when people get to the data collection part of their marketing exercise, you know, maybe they're going to run a webinar and there's a form, and they're going to collect data around the registrants in the form. There's a phrase that I was taught a long, long time ago that basically says, if you're not going to do anything with the data, don't ask for it. So there's no point in someone telling you uh, how big their company is unless you're planning on segmenting your database based on company size. There's no point in you asking them what industry they're in unless you're planning on segmenting your database by industry. So that's a really good question. It's not like you can't eventually add those fields to a form. But if you're not prepared to do anything with them now, there's no point in asking for anybody for that information now. If you are planning on doing it in the future, that's different. And then you can, go, you should go ahead and do that. But I've seen such long forms that ask so many questions and eventually I'm like, yeah, this is ridiculous. I'm not filling out this form. And that's what happened. So don't look at the form and the data collection process as your opportunity to ask everybody everything. You really need a strategy behind that effort so that you're absolutely positive you're going to do something with that data, whether it's today or at some point down the road, uh, that has to be a very clear strategy behind whatever data collection efforts you're putting out there. 
And then that overall strategy has to be rolled out into whoever's managing that data for you. So if you are going to be segmenting by vertical, well, sure, ask for it and then set the database up so it's segmented by vertical. Same thing for size, whether it's company uh, revenue size or employee size or, or any of those criteria that you might be segmenting by. Um, also, again, back to strategy, you know, if you're targeting people in sales and marketing, well, consider the roles that you're also looking to target and consider, you know, providing some easy data collection opportunities in those forms. Maybe you're going to do a drop down. So instead of having people put free form information in where you might get chief revenue officer, chief officer of revenue, director of revenue, like all these titles that are going to make it more difficult for you to segment your database, just give them some choices that you set up in advance, make it easy for them. It really doesn't matter to you if the person heading revenue is a VP of revenue or a chief revenue officer. All you need to know is that they're in charge of revenue at that particular company. They'll find the role that's closest to their uh, actual title from your drop down. So you got to think this through pretty strategically uh, before you even get into it. And it will help you with some of the execution down the road. And again, having an ops person responsible for this is the one who in the meeting is going to say, yeah, like you're asking for this, but we don't do anything with that information. So maybe we don't need to have that form field in there today. Maybe that's something we can grow into, you know, a year or two down the road, right? You need someone who has that voice at the table. Yeah. Strategically, cool. you got to set, what am I going to do? I mean, we've talked for years now. We're never asking for phone numbers because we're never strategically calling people. We're letting them come to us. So if that's the case, you don't have to ask for phone number, more friction, another field to fill out, slows things down and lessens your chance of getting a clean conversion. That's such a great example too, because I always pause at the phone number and you know, the phone number I'm giving them is the office phone number that we don't even answer the phone anymore. It goes right to like an automated voice, automated voicemail, and then sends us an email with the transcripted message. So, you know, if you're trying to get in touch with square two, don't call us um, on, on the office phone anyway, like the people that need to get in touch with us know how to get in touch with us. So you're hundred percent right. Like we, we shouldn't be asking for phone number because we're never using it. Agreed. Okay. So let's, um, let's track this uh, use case uh, a little farther down and you realize your database is a mess, right? And again, like this might be more of you than you thought when we first started talking. How do you go about cleaning it up? You got any advice for our audience about the cleanup process, Eric? Well, companies like ours, typically when you're talking about database management, offer some kind of audit. I would sign up for some audit and let an expert in your database software, Salesforce is a great example, HubSpot's always a good tool, let them take a look at it and give you their recommendations because that's a very common offer by companies like ours. Like, let me take a look at your database and give you some recommendations on cleaning it up. So taking advantage of a good natured free offer to take a look at it is a great first step. The reason I say that also is, um, you know, if you want to have a great assessment of the weird red patch on your arm, you don't go to the auto mechanic, you go to the doctor. And it's the same thing here, like get an expert to take a look at your database to give you insights. We literally deal in databases every day. Internal marketing departments only look at one database of their own and they look at it infrequently. So that would be a good first step. The second yeah. thing, I would, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, please. No, no, you're good. You're good. The second thing I would do is come up with scenarios, right? Okay, if I wanted to attract all of the people that are in this industry, can I do that? If the answer is no, whoop, I got a little problem there. They're all mixed together. Can I say, give me everybody who entered into my database from six months ago to 12 months ago, like time segments? No, nope, we don't have that either. Oh, that's a mess. So by looking at the database in a variety of ways, you can determine yourself that you don't have it organized enough, aka messy, that you can actually do anything with it. A uh, quick example of square two is we have our new salesperson, Craig. Uh, he's helping guide people through the process of working with square two. And when he got started, we thought a really good learning exercise for him would be to reach out to clients that haven't been with us two years or longer. With a flick of a uh, computer, we were able to extract the 350 clients that were with square two prior to two years ago put him into another bucket, write a sales sequence to introduce them to Craig. And he ended up getting about 10 people that wanted to talk to us about a project to close three or four of them. 
great exercise in just leaning into your database to generate revenue. I believe this show is called What's Wrong with Revenue? If you can't lean on your database to talk to the people you want to about offers or products or services that you want to provide, your database is a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's so true about the audit, like, and the doctor metaphor. That's a really great way to think about it. You know, you and doctors don't treat themselves, by the way, right? So you can't really audit your own database. You really need someone with an outside perspective to look at it. Uh, but beyond that, there are really a, a ton of tools that you can use to clean it up. Um, one of the tools we use is uh, Neverbounce. It's a tool that allows us to uh, run our database up against uh, their database and make sure that our email addresses are accurate, right? Again, people leave, people uh, change jobs. You know, we wanna make sure we're talking to the right people all the time. There are national uh, registry uh, databases that you can also run your data up against. There are actually data cleaning services where you can send your entire database out, tell them exactly how you want it to look and come back and they will clean it. They'll bump it up against their databases. They'll make sure the information is accurate. You know, if you're putting, someone's putting uh, Mr. MR or Mr. MR period, you know, and you want that uh, uh, cleaned up to be capital MR period, they can do that for you. If you want, uh, you know, all the inks and the LLCs and the whatever is at the end of a company's name removed. So it's just, you know, the pure company name, like they can absolutely do that for you. So um, there are a lot of opportunities to take a list, take a database, send it to a cleaning service and have it come back and it be ready to go. Um, the big move there is gonna be, you're gonna invest some money in that. I don't think it's gonna be like an unreasonable amount of money, but it depends on the size of your database and what you're asking them to do. But when it comes back, you gotta keep it clean. So not having a process for keeping it clean or not having someone owning it is not gonna help you if you send it out and it comes back and the next day someone's in there and they're messing it up again. So again, back to the strategy and the ownership issue we started the show off with, you can get it cleaned, but you got to make sure that you're going to keep it clean going forward or else you'll be in the same, as Eric says, pickle as you're, gonna, as you're in currently. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's like a playbook kind of scenario, right? Here's how we treat our database. We do this, we don't do that. It's like a logo design guide, right? Or, or brand usage guide. Here's how to use the logo. Here's not how to use the logo, right? And I think if you educated your sales and marketing folks on here's our new strategy going forward around our database, please don't stray from these set of guidelines. You know, just keep it clean for years to come. And you won't have to invest in cleaning it again. Yeah, it's it's 100% correct. Like, you know, like, again, like you're going to send emails out, you're going to see people's are the emails are hard bouncing. Well, what are you supposed to do with that? You're going to need a, a process for cleaning those undeliverable emails out of your your database. There's no point in sending them uh, emails if they're not getting to an individual. So like, what is the process associated with that? You know, sales reps don't really enter data like they used to. Lots of times the database is pre-populated. You know, HubSpot's really good at this. They pull data from outside databases and put it in. So reps spend time working on deals, not entering data in databases, but you're still going to, from time to time, uh, have someone put something in and they have to know what the formats are that the company is looking for. Again, is it MR period? Is it MS? Is it MRS? Is it, you know, do we put LLC period? You know, how, how do you want the record restored? How, how do you want the record um, instituted in the database? People have to be aware of that and they have to support that. And, you know, there has to be some oversight associated with that to make sure that everything is clean. Um, what happens when information is missing, important information, like if you're segmenting by vertical and there's no vertical information in there, where does that record end up? Is, does it end up in a, in a non-vertical bucket or does someone actually get notified that we need to know what industry this company is and then we get it you know, accurately depicted and then the right email is sent to the right vertical uh, so our segmentation runs smoothly. So all those things have to be thought out and, and they should be part of this database management process. Um, let's talk a little bit about monitoring uh, these issues so that they're caught early and corrected. I think this is important too. And again, circles back to ownership and strategy. But if someone is owning this database, then they're also owning the quality and accuracy of the database. And they're spot checking it from time to time to make sure that it's you know, uh, complete and working the way it's supposed to. 
And when that becomes part of your job, I think that becomes something that you do on a regular basis. I don't think they're doing it every day, but I think they're doing it, you know, maybe a couple of times a month. Again, a lot of records come into these databases. A lot of records go out. A lot of records should be cleaned out when, you know, companies go out of business or people leave their firm or relocate. Like all those things have to be dealt with on a regular basis. Um, even bad records. And this is something that I do from time to time. Like we recently got a string of spammy email addresses subscribing to, you know, one of our landing pages and you can't let those sit in there. I don't know who they, I don't know what that was or who they were, but I don't want to be sending emails to them. I don't want them to have our information. So, you know, I have to go in and clean them out. It's not that big a deal. When I notice them, it takes me a couple seconds to flag them and delete them. Uh, but somebody needs to do that to keep the database clean. You don't want um, those kinds of people getting access to your information. They're, they have your email address, they have your company address, they have your company phone number. It's just not something that they need to be getting served up and you don't know who they're giving that information to also after they get it. So um, that's just another example of how somebody needs to kind of just keep an eye on it and keep it clean. Uh, good database hygiene is a real thing. And, you know, we're not going to have time on this show to go into every single detail on good database hygiene. A quick Google search will produce probably a really nice playbook around database hygiene, but someone needs to be responsible for it and they need to be executing it on a fairly uh, regular basis. I think the uh, database police comment I made earlier uh, stands up, right? Hey, sales folks, you're not entering in X. I've been watching you. We got to have this because this is Y. And I think the why is important because salespeople always want to cut corners. And if you say, well, if you guys put this in, then we could generate more revenue this way. That makes sense for everybody. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we get on to questions is, and we did talk about this a little bit in terms of strategy, but I think companies need to talk more about their database cr cross company. Um, and to Eric's point, I think everyone in the company really needs to know what the company's goals are around the database um, and how they work to contribute those, to those goals. Eric just gave you a really good example. Sales reps have to be responsible for the data that they're putting in the system. They are going to pick up a record. You know, someone turns from a marketing qualified lead into a sales qualified lead and they want to talk to a rep. The rep is picking up that record. And they're going to start adding information to that. They're going to be adding notes. They're going to be linking emails. They're going to be uh, moving that record through deal stages. They're going to be adding data in terms of close date. You know, what's the format for that? They're going to be adding data in terms of deal size. What is that? One month, annual, lifetime? Like all of those questions have to be asked and answered. And it has to be very clear to everyone in the company why you're doing it and why they need to kind of tuck in and follow the playbook associated with, with uh, all of your data rules and, and regulations. Like if they're not updating the close date, we can't do good forecasting. If they're not uh, calculating the value of the deal properly, not only can we not do good forecasting, but we also can't, uh, we, we really can't track to revenue. How are we doing against goals? If the value of the deal is not properly articulated in the in the CRM, we're going to have trouble with a lot of our reporting. So um, if people don't understand the deal stage, it's going to start to represent inaccuracies in terms of what's working and what's not working. So there's a lot that has to go into the overall company all getting on the same page around what we're doing with the with the data, how it's important and how everybody contributes. Yeah, you know, you could look at the database at two sides, right? Marketing and sales. Marketing is all the people that are giving their information for conversions or reaching out, whatever. But the deal stage uh, information in the database is crucial because you're right. Operations won't know if they can hire that extra person or buy that extra machine if they don't have any clear data around what's coming down the pipeline. Oh, look, July is going to be a killer month. You know what? I think it's the right time to pull that trigger on that new technician, right? It's a great uh, way and nobody even has to talk because if you put the information and then the operations person goes into the CRM and sees the forecast or deals that are about to imminently close, they have the level of confidence to move forward. But if they see that the pipeline is weak or the pipeline is strong, but nobody's putting the information in to tell them that it's strong, now you're not making those bold, aggressive moves that you would normally make with confidence if you had the data to back it up. 
Yeah, 100%. And we haven't really talked too much about too much about customer service, but it's probably the most significant area here. Like, yes, all the marketing and sales data is important, but just think about the customer service rep who's on the phone with a client and looking at the record and there's no indication of what they bought or what the sales rep talked to them about. And the customer service rep now doesn't really know whether to bring up this topic or not because they're not sure whether it was discussed already. And, and everyone feels embarrassed when they're like, oh, you really should be good for this. And the guy and the customer's not like, well, I told the rep I didn't really want to do that. Like that, that's not a good experience. It should be like, oh, I see you talk to John about this particular issue on this date. And I see the notes that you guys discussed this and you were, you know, a little concerned about A, B, and C. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you're right. I was. And I feel a little better now. I've been working with you guys for six months. This is a good time to talk about that. Like you could never have that conversation if the the database is not properly seeded with the right information. So I'm going to tell you that the customer service piece of this is probably even more important. And you also have today, this database is touching so many different parts of the company. It could be integrated into the ERP system. It could be integrated into your finance system. There's so many things that, that the, the, the central database can potentially be feeding and serving up that, you know, any inaccuracies in the data can really lead to some significant issues with reporting that just can't be. And you can blame it on the technology, you can blame it on the, the integration wasn't done right. But honestly, folks, more times than not, we see it's not those issues. It's the data and the quality of the data in the database. It's not that the integration was done incorrectly, it's that the data moving back and forth from these systems is not accurate. And it looks like the first time it's actually uncovered is when we're trying to do these integrations because no one's even looked at this data prior to this integration project. So that comes up for us fairly frequently when we're trying to connect different systems and leverage this data across platform and something to really be considerate of before you start a project like that. One more point though, for the sales team pitching in on the data, Mike, you know, when you use marketing automation platforms, it's generating a lot of data for you. So for example, let's say that someone came to the Square 2 website and they were all over our page about building a new website. Well, that would be captured in the CRM so that now when I take the five minutes to prepare, sorry, 25 minutes to prepare before a past that meeting, then I'm looking at the data stream and I'm like, oh, look, three times they've been back to our website all around website development issues or building a new website or messaging for a website. So now when I get on the call, because of the nice, rich data that's resident in our CRM, I might say, tell me how you feel about your website. And they're like, I'm so glad you asked that. That's uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. I look brilliant, but I really cheated because I was using the data as a business intelligence tool before I got on the prospect call. Good point. All right. You want to do some questions? Love the questions. Love the questions. Okay. So... This is from Dave in Philly, and his question is, we, we did briefly talk about this, but I want to tell a little story associated with it. His question is, what should we be looking for in our data that might be concerning? So I want to tell a, a brief story that happened to us today, actually. We were looking at data. We we're actually looking at some dashboards that we're working on that highlight highlighted our sales funnel conversion rates. So we have, really, we, we have a multi-step sales process, but the four big steps are discovery, diagnostic, recommendations, and then close. So at the highest level, those are the steps. And we were looking at them and we had like an 18% close rate. And I was like, well, that seems strange. And then there were 11 recommendations sessions. So 11 clients got into the recommendation stage and two closed. I was like, well, that's not right. I know we closed more. And this was for the whole year. It's like, I know we closed more than two new clients the whole year. And actually sitting right next to it was a chart of closed deals, which actually accurately reflected the closed deals that we did every single month for, for the entire uh, 2022. So, you know, sometimes you can see where the data is not accurate when you start doing some of these even basic dashboards or some basic reporting. And um, what we uncovered was that when deals skip stages, which sometimes happens, it can impact that funnel that, that funnel dashboard, right? So if something comes in in the diagnostic stage and we don't do a, a discovery for it, it's not getting uh, 
follow through all the way through and the close is not getting represented. So, you know, that's an opportunity to go back and look at what maybe our process might be and, and make sure that we're not skipping stages of deals. Even if you put it in as a new deal for a second, document it and move it, you're covered. So you don't necessarily have to have a discovery call to put something in, in that phase to get the data to accurately reflect it. And that extra step might seem frivolous, but we have to know what our close rate is, an accurate close rate. We have to know what the conversion uh, rates are for each stage in the sales process. And if the data is not set up properly to reflect that, you're going to have trouble making a decision. You know, you're going to have trouble deciding like, hey, we really do have an 18% close rate. We really should work on our late stage sales process to, to take this from 18 to, to, to 38, right? But if that's not a problem, you don't want to be uh, extending energy on something that's not a problem. So well, when on, you start, uh, you know, it's a good point, but what if your strategy changes six months from now, right? You want to make like, you know, all right. So I skip one stage in the, in the sales process, who cares? Right. But let's say I want to go back and I want to do some analysis and change my sales process. You should actually adhere to the process at all times rather than skipping stages. Yes. So Lot, like we have a stage in our sales process called discussion before recommendations. It's a quick check-in on the first draft of the recommendations. And then we have a little collaboration around editing or they give us feedback and we tweak the program. And at that point, we know exactly what the program is agreed to. And we can put a price tag to it and a timeline. Some clients, honestly, they're like, sounds great. Send me the agreement at that point. Now that's a very good thing, but that totally messes up all the metrics when it comes to the mm -hmm. funnel. So yes. what that should be happening is, yes, I'm more than happy to send you a proposal, move them into the recommendation stage, make a little note that they asked for the proposal, no recommendations meeting as needed, and then move them on. Yes. And you're right. Uh, honestly, I don't do that, and nor does Craig Sweeney. So yeah. we should start doing it. Yeah, well, we're going to have a con we're going to, Amber's going to get in touch with you guys. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, yeah I mean, that's trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, that's that's one of the signals that we didn't really talk about. Like if the data doesn't seem right when you're starting to do reporting and dashboards, that might be an indication that you got to go back and look at kind of what you're doing and how it's getting tracked. So it was a good question, Dave. And look, Very we covered good. so many areas around things that could be wrong with your data. I thought that would be one that might be a little more like a 201 as opposed to 101. So good question. All right. Jane in Toronto wants to know, what would you recommend we do? from a list segmentation perspective. So you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but maybe you could do some, give Jane some advanced segmentation uh, suggestions. Well, you know, my greatest fantasy is that someone would come to square two and say, hey guys, we sell mozzarella cheese to pizza shops in Philadelphia. We have one target market, owners of pizza shops in Philadelphia. Man, would that be easy. But I can say, honestly, there's no less than three and most of the time in the eight to 10 range of different kinds of personas that uh, come from the strategic conversation of deciding who we want to target. You got to start there, because if you don't have that strategy of who you want to speak to, and by the way, other stakeholders can be in your CRM also, like sponsors or strategic partners, right? That aren't really prospects that you're gonna to sell to, but are important to communicate to through your database or at least have a Rolodex, uh, uh, see me after class if you don't know what a Rolodex is, a Rolodex of people that you can go and tap the database for information to quickly uh, connect with people. So what typically happens there is that no strategy is done on the personas, no segmentation is done based upon those uh, uh, personas, and then you get the bowl of spaghetti that we're talking about for the last half an hour. That's a big problem. So if you go back to personas, even if you think it's persona one and one A, make a segmentation for that. Make sure that when someone is on the buyer's journey and they fill out a specific form on a specific page and your assumption is they're that kind of persona, drop them in the bucket, tag them so that at least we can start to see what's happening. Now, if time goes on, and you've set up a whole segment for three people that converted over the course of the year, go back to your strategy, knock out that persona and say that that's not a valid persona anymore, and then make the database reflect that. So I think too often, there's no strategic thought about like, who do we want to get into this database, track and nurture, take care of, communicate with whatever your goal is uh, in advance. And they're just in there. Now, look, sometimes we do that too. Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements. We don't really set it up by speaking engagement number one on this date 
they just all get thrown into speaking as a general bucket, which is fine. But if I wanted to say, hey, folks at this specific organization that I've done three engagements for, you specifically have a new deal. I couldn't extract that. I'd have to either go to all the people that have sat in the audience of a speaking gig or none at all. And that hamstrings you if you want to be very um, narrow in your approach, very targeted, very precise in the message and offers that you're sending to certain buckets. Yeah, I think the word you're looking for is personal, right? We've been talking about this uh, over a couple of shows and how you really want to try to get your marketing almost down to like a one-to-one level. And with some of the tools available, you can do that. So, Jane, to answer your question specifically, I think this comes down to like how personal do you want your marketing and sales outreach to be if you want it to be you know by role in a specific industry like hey mike i know you're the ceo at a marketing company in philadelphia you know outside of philadelphia we you know blah 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 like if that's how you want your marketing to be and i would suggest that's going to be the best marketing you could possibly do then you need to make sure that you can segment in this case by geography by title uh, and, and by industry, you know, if there are other things that you're like, some companies segment by product usage, right? I want to talk to everyone who bought product A, you know, then that, that product purchase has to be a field in the database that you can sort on. So again, not to harp on this, but it's all going to come back to the strategy of your marketing and how personal and how one-to-one you want to get it. The more personal, the harder it's going to be to manage these seg- segments and keep the database clean, but the better your marketing is going to perform. What you know, there's a reason why, you know, uh, really good things generally are hard to do because it's, it's, there are extra levels of complexity. And this is exactly that scenario. Okay, uh, Kathy in Baltimore. And we did talk about this, but we didn't really talk about frequency. This is a good question. How frequently do companies actually clean their database? Do you, do you know anything about this, Eric? Well, I, I don't think it's a regular thing like you, you know, wash your car, right, every month or every week. This is a uh, typically a bigger project to clean it initially when it is the traditional bowl of spaghetti. And then it's ongoing light maintenance to maintain it. I think that's the rhythm that most people have. I love when we have a new client on HubSpot or Salesforce because it's a milestone where you can clean it and set it put the guidelines around it. And now you have a system as opposed to just a big bucket uh, or catch all bucket. So I think that the cleaning should be one, a big one in the beginning, whenever your pain is acute and then ongoing maintenance. So could that be a monthly check-in? Could it be a quarterly check-in? I guess that depends on the company and how many names they're adding to the database and how frequently they're tapping that database. But um, the big cleanup to set that first uh, baseline that this is our clean, uh, a database, and this is the way we want to keep it going forward. And then it's just light maintenance going forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think you want to get into this big cleaning project too frequently. I think if you're doing a good job on a regular basis, you shouldn't have to have a big database cleanup project. So I think Eric's right. You want to be just making sure that you're keeping it clean along the way. And if you are uploading a list, it's a clean list, not necessarily just a list you purchased or a list you got because you were a partner at an, at an event, but a list that is clean and accurate and complete and ready to go into your database. So it's almost like your database should have its own set of requirements that have to be checked off before data gets into your database, as opposed to just dumping everything in there and dealing with it later. I think that's what most people do. They look at the database as like a closet. I'll just throw it in the closet. We'll deal with it later. And that's really not right. Like you should be making sure that it's appropriately ready to get into your closet before you just dump it in there. Yeah, your closet, uh, let, let me, you know, it's a very interesting point, Mike. Instead of closet, let's use the word pantry, right? Because in your pantry, you have lots of different kinds of food. Some of them are old and getting close to the sell-by date. Some of them are new and have to be rotated around, right? You don't want to put anything in your pantry that you don't actually cook with. So like, it's very interesting how like to store things in a pantry uh, requires uh, care. Now, your pantry gets out of control, like your database, you take it all out of the pantry, you organize it, you put it back in. And then you say, 
I'm only going to buy three cans of beans at one time anymore because I ended up having 63 cans of beans and that was a mess. And that's our new rule going forward is that when we get down to three cans of beans, we buy three more. Those are the kinds of uh, parameters you can set with your team. Like we do not load in lists randomly from trade shows. We analyze it. We clean them first. We then uh, send it and anybody who responds goes into this bucket. And that's what we're calling the segmentation. And I'm just winging it. But just to have that conversation is refreshing because most people just be uploading a list and you know, forgetting about it, just like you have a can of beans in the back of your pantry from 2002. Yeah, good point. Um, this is from Lynn in DC. She wants to know how quickly does data degrade? That's a really good question. I used to work for Dun & Bradstreet and this was many, many years ago, but I believe they, you could probably Google this too because you can Google anything, but I believe the degrade rate is somewhere around 1% a month which is about 10% a year, which is probably pretty close to what I would have expected it to be. Um, and it, that might not sound like a lot, but if you think about it, if you have 200,000 records in your database and it degrades 10% a year, that's 20,000 records mm -hmm. over the course of the year. So that's pretty significant. And when you think about it, it's not really too crazy a number, right? People leave jobs, people get promoted and get into different roles so their titles change. Uh, people retire, uh, you know, like there are, there are so many things that happen to people along the way that it makes sense that about 10% of your records would be inaccurate at the end of the year. So, you know, that, that's where this kind of ongoing maintenance by not only someone who owns the database, but by the people who own the records are really important. Oh, John got promoted. Great. What's John's new job? Let me go in and change jobs. John's title to this. If we're doing proper segmentation, that title is really important. Oh, John left to go to company ABC. Oh, great. Thanks for telling me. Let me go in and update that record because John's now in a new vertical. And if we're sending out marketing uh, based on verticals, we, we need to know that data. So uh, it's very important to understand that, that the data does degrade and it degrades fairly aggressively when you think about it, and I think people in the company should know that, especially the sales and service people who are regularly talking to your prospects and clients so that they can keep, they understand how important it is to get that new data in there. Um, and if you're in the marketing department and you keep seeing emails being returned with, with hard or soft bounces, take those uh, records out also, because that's not helping you either. It's, and it's actually uh, influencing your email uh uh, reporting uh, inaccurately. So probably something that for the marketing team to clean up also. Uh, quick COVID point, Mike, with the great resignation and people job hopping so much more frequently, I bet that number is higher than 10% in the current date. Here we are, July or June, 2022. It so probably is. Case, yeah. Right. 10, let's see if it tweaks up to 15 or 20%. You're right. Uh, that, that's big. I had a uh, prospective client with a 500,000 name database and they confided in me that they really think that just 40,000 of them are active. So, wow. you know, that's a lot of noise around the 40,000 that you really want to connect with. Yeah. All right. I got a good question from Carl in Seattle. He said, is it possible that our current CRM is limiting what we can do with our data? What do you think about that? I don't know about that. That seems like, uh, a, and I don't mean to bust on Carl from Seattle, that seems like a bit of an excuse. The reason I say that is because most CRMs are going to have the basic tools that you need in order to keep records clean, update, extract list, segment, and so forth. It seems to me that the CRM shouldn't be to blame unless you're losing like, you know, act from uh, 1987 or something like that. But any kind of decent CRM, you know, HubSpot, Salesforce, Zoho, uh, ActiveCampaign, all of those, they have all the tools to keep the database clean and updated. Yeah, I would agree with Eric. My only uh, caveat to that, and this gets back to signals, is if you have something that was built for you or you built something yourself, like we actually, Eric and I were talking to a prospect a couple of weeks ago and they had a proprietary CRM, right? So when you, and that's fine. Like someone built it for them. They had a unique set of requirements and, 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 and someone built them a CRM. That's great. But th that might be at least, uh, enough for me to want to look at the functionality of the CRM and see if there is anything limiting there. Again, like we said, some of the CRMs that Eric was talking about will literally pull data from a database and populate it for you, saving the rep a lot of time with data entry. And in your case, 
if, if you do have something that was homegrown, it might not have that capability, in which case the reps are spending a lot of time doing low payoff activities, like entering rep field, uh, data into fields in the, in the database, not the best use of their time. So, you know, I think if, if this is a concern, and generally I think Eric's right, but if it is, that might be a, a bigger reason to look around and see what the, your, your homegrown system is capable of doing. Yeah, and you know, just a quick note on the homegrown CRM, like unless you have a really special application, the, the off the shelf ones are gonna be so much easier to keep a database clean because they pre-thought that out where if you build your own, you're kind of like uh, Frankensteining it together without that strategy around database management that'll come resident in a, in a, in a you know, popular common tool. Agreed. All right, I got a couple more questions here and then we'll wrap up for the day. Uh, what about outside data sources? Is this something that we should be looking at? This is Frank in Los Angeles. Eric, maybe you could talk a little bit about intent data as an outside data source. What, what, how do you feel like that factors into this conversation? You're jumping to intent data, not just buying a list like that. <laughs> well, I feel like we talked about lists. I feel like people are like, you go to a show, you get a list, right? Like, I feel like that's a pretty common motion. Well, actually pretty common are people buying names and putting them into their CRM, right? Hey, let's buy a thousand names of chief engineers and sell them this doohickey, right? That's bad because no matter what they promise you, the names aren't going to be current and fresh. And the names that you're putting in, at least at a trade show, you had the opportunity to do a speaking engagement, meet them at the booth, uh, have a beer at the bar at the hotel, like there's some connection. So, you know, on that spectrum, those, those, those purchase lists are really going to clog your CRM. When it comes to something like intent data, and intent data, for those of you that might not be familiar, is simply that you're getting lists of names of people that uh, are not just on some random database, but actually showed behavior that would lead to the assumption that they intend to buy something in your area. I think intent data is hot. It's uh, smart. Um, I'm not sure that it's mature enough that every business could leverage it, but something you should keep an eye on and then kind of follow that topic as it, as it trends more popularly. But intent data would be a really interesting experiment to add into a segmentation of your database where you say, look, these thousand people have gone to my competitors' websites. These thousand people have bought a adjacent product and I got that intent data and now I wanna start educating with them. Nothing wrong with putting them in your database if they're properly segmented, of course, standing up to GDPR when you reach out to them, you don't wanna to like torture people. And you have some kind of really good offer that will engage in when they actually um, convert or engage with your offer. Now you could put them into a separate bucket that says, wow, it's not just theoretical intent to buy my stuff, but these people are actually connecting with us and they might go into a different category. But for the most part, it's so much more effective if you're going to generate the database record yourself through marketing or sales outreach, as opposed to using outside sources for, uh, uh, you know, for purchase. Yeah, you didn't really name anybody, but like we have a lot of clients and prospects talking about buying data from Zoom Info and companies like Seamless, right? So I think that's probably, you're, you're right. The, the, I mean, there, I guess the list you get at the event is 101, Seamless and Zoom Info is 201 and Intent Data is 301 if you're looking for a college level <laughs> series of courses around uh, data, right? Yeah, I think that holds up as a good description because those are like levels that you have to be aware of, especially since we're talking about databases, how you treat them in your database, how you then use the database to reach out to those those lists. Yeah, my, you know, if you're looking at those Zoom Info type services, which a lot of people are these days, you got to really dig into the quality of that data. I think the quality of that data is somewhat suspect. Um, you know, we've had some experiences where the data is not quite what it was purported to be. Um, uh, also, you have to know what you're going to do with that data. Like, you can't just start emailing them. Uh, you can't email, ten, you can't buy 10,000 names and send 10,000 emails without expecting to get into some kind of trouble from somebody. Um, <laughs> your, your email service provider, like HubSpot, might say, hey, there's a lot of people opting out of this email. We're concerned all the way up to people are reporting you as a spammer and we're shutting off your email service until you do A, B, and C, which we've seen both of those things happen oh, yeah. um, with clients. 
And honestly, like you could really run into trouble with your internet service provider. You, I've seen clients have, uh, I've seen Comcast shut off clients internet service because they're sending too many unsolicited emails. It's just too easy today for people to put a spam, a spam report in. I mean, you can do it in Google. Um, I've seen clients have their Google accounts shut off because they're sending too, too many emails. So you got to be careful. You really can't do a mass marketing campaign to people that you don't know. You have to have a much more one-to-one outreach where you're trying to get them to say, yes, I want your information. And then you can go at them a little more aggressively. So I would proceed cautiously when it comes to outside data sources, for sure, Frank. Agreed. In Agreed. LA. Okay. And All right. I got a good... Talking about databases, don't clog up your database with crap. Right. I got a really good question here that I think we can wrap up the show on. And it, uh, this is Jill in San Diego. She wants to know if we can articulate the difference between um, growth campaign execution. And by that, I, I'm, I assume she means like, you know, like new business growth campaign execution with good data and growth campaign execution with bad data. Like the data is the impediment to the. Yes, campaign. yes, yes, exactly right. The data is the like, what, what are, what does it look like to execute a campaign with good data versus trying to execute oh, oh, with bad okay. data? Okay. So hello, you know, it's <laughs> like, um, there's two parts to every outreach in the campaign. There's the offer and then there's the list. If you have a good offer that goes to the list and they respond, great. If you have a bad list and you have a good offer, that's not going to work either. So, you know, lots of times people will say, well, you know, the offer was bad. It's a lot easier to blame the offer. If it's beginning of the journey, nobody's downloading our ebook, right? If it's at the end of the journey, nobody's asking to talk to our salespeople. But if you were e emailing to a list that's poor or off target or uh, not uh, correctly matched up strategically. So for example, if I'm like, buy the new financial software, it'll make your accounting so much better. And I'm sending that to the HR person because I got the wrong list. Could be a great offer, could be a very well executed campaign, but the results just won't be there because people are like, why are they sending this to me? I am constantly getting emails, cold emails in my inbox. I'm sure everybody who's listening today as well for things that make you scratch your head and say, why would they send this to me? And that's mm -hmm. where a bad list comes in to really uh, kind of dampen the results that you would get from a campaign. Um, in anything, in anything marketing, there's always a testing component, right? Hey, we got this list. It's 10,000 names. Before we get in trouble with Comcast or Verizon, let's ca uh, carve out 500 of these and do a small test. Well, the, while the, uni the universe that you're sampling will be smaller and probably not statistically valid at 500 versus 5,000 or 50,000, at least it'll give you an indication of whether or not your list is clean and anybody's responding to your offer, even if they're opening your email or connecting with you on social. So that's like, a, you know, kind of like a basic thing that if the list is bad, no matter how good your offer message or product or service is, it's just not going to fly. Yeah, I look at it as like a series of gates. So if you're planning a campaign, you really have to get through a series of gates to have the campaign execute properly. And the first gate is the is who you're going after. It's the list. It's your data. It's your names. And if you can't check the box on the data, like, yep, th these are accurate. I know where these came from. These people are opted in. Uh, it's segmented properly. I have all the titles I need. I'm not sending the dear friend, which we've all gotten. And we all laugh at it. Um, you know, like there were first names everywhere, you know, like in every field, you know, the company names properly documented, like you got to really get through that gate before you even start with any, the rest of the campaign execution. So, you know, to Eric's point, th th there's a huge difference and it's going to look, it's going to be a performance metric. Like if people are opting out or, or, or um, you know, complaining or telling you to take them off their list or why are you you're like, well, that's not the offer. They didn't even get to the offer. They didn't even get to the subject line. They didn't get really to anything that you're trying to get them to read. They're just annoyed that you're sending this to them because it's not relevant. So I think your campaign execution would be clearly uh, uh, impacted negatively if you don't have a good list and you don't have good data. So you really have to invest just as much time on making sure that the list is solid as you do on creating the campaign assets, executing the campaign, and then optimizing it. So I, you know, I don't know if the question's exactly, 
articulated the right way, but I think it, it's a gate you have to get through. If you can't get through the gate with data, I wouldn't execute the campaign. 100%. Okay. Awesome. Really good show, Eric. Interesting topic. We don't talk about this very frequently, and I think um, it's probably you know, good for, for people to stop and, and retrospectively think about their database and what they're doing with it, because like we said, uh, it's a very easy point to blow right by. So really, really good show. Good topic today. Agreed. Join us next Wednesday at four o'clock, episode 40 of What's Wrong With Revenue. This is a really interesting topic to me. Your new website already needs an upgrade. So we're going to talk about how even if you built this thing a year ago, you might need to fix it. So don't forget to join us next Wednesday at four o'clock. We're going to dig deep into your website and some things that it probably should be doing that I'm guessing it's not. Thanks for joining us today. Let me remind you, you can check out the show on YouTube. It'll be posted first thing tomorrow morning at Square Two Marketing Channel. Please subscribe. Please comment. Please like it. The show will be available first thing tomorrow morning on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're into podcasts, check us out on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple, all your favorite uh, podcast platforms. And if you want to subscribe to the show, head on over to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. It's our free streaming service where you can subscribe to all of our audio and video content. You can check out all of our audio and video content there. We literally add something new to that service every single week. And if you subscribe, we'll let you know via email when new stuff comes up. And if you want to ask a question or if you want this show on your calendar, which I'm sure you do, head on over to What's Wrong With Revenue. There's a link at the bottom of our website in our footer, square2marketing.com, and you can submit a question, which Eric and I will answer. And you can also get this added to your calendar so you never miss a show live. Thanks, everybody, for joining us and have a really great rest of your day. Bye-bye.